Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's up, buds? Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I am your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm very excited to be joined by Adam Gretz. Uh, how you doing, Adam? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for coming on. I know you're, you're really busy writing a lot of stuff right now for NBC Sports, Yard Barker, uh, even Pennsburg. But uh, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to come join me today. Hey, my pleasure. Always happy to talk. Yeah, so, I mean, things have been pretty uh, interesting for the Capitals of late. We're recording this on the 19th of February. And the Capitals uh, just did what they've done every year, it feels like, since Brian McClellan became GM of the team, and that's acquire a defenseman at the trade deadline, um, getting Brendan Dillon from San Jose for a 2020 second-round pick and a 2021 conditional third. Um, and in exchange, they got Dillon and also some retained salary. So I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that trade uh, kind of as we start off here. Yeah, you know what? I really liked it for the Capitals. Um, I, I think that he's a good fit for them because I think he's going to shore up some things on the back end. And I, I think teams can sometimes get into trouble when they try to add that defensive defenseman presence because a lot of times you can just add a player that's not very good. I think that Brendan Dillon is a defensive defenseman that is actually really good at what he does. And I think he's still a player that, you know, even though he's not going to give you much offense from the blue line, uh, the Capitals don't really need that right now. Because uh, yeah, they have a guy back there that's kind of having one of the best seasons ever for a defenseman <laughs> offensively. And I, I think Dylan's just a good fit. I think he is um, you know, going to really stabilize things on the back end. He's a really good defensive player. He can still play a little bit of a shutdown role. If you look at a lot of his uh, you know, shot metrics defensively in terms of preventing chances, preventing shot attempts, he's still a really good player. And he's been one of the better uh, defensive players in the league in all those areas for a few years now. And and for a second-round pick, conditional third-round pick, I don't think that's really going to hurt the Capitals in the long run. Uh, you have an opportunity to get a guy that can fill a big need, maybe put you over the top. You have to do that. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I think uh, Micah Blake McCurdy had his like thing on there, like minus 12% uh, chances against with, with – um 
with Dylan on the ice, which is just a, such a such a nice thing for the Capitals that have just been hemorrhaging chances of late. Um, it, it sounds like he's going to slot in on the top four with either John Carlson, the great offensive defenseman you you mentioned earlier, or Dmitry Orlov. Um, you know, who do you think he works best with? Um, you know, maybe maybe without getting too focused on on handedness. Yeah, well, that's another thing that can sometimes get teams in trouble a little yeah. bit. You get married to the handedness, and you just put together a pairing that doesn't work. But you know, I, I'd kind of like to see you know what he could do next to Carlson. I think that would they would complement each other pretty well. Um, for as great of a season that Carlson is having offensively, I, I think you know the, the defensive aspect hasn't been quite as elite. I mean, I'm not saying he's been bad defensively by any stretch, but I think you put him with a guy like Dylan, who's a really good complementary player to. You know, play that shutdown role. I think you'd have a really good top pairing there, and I'd, I'd kind of want to see where that goes. Yeah, I think I think that'd be like a nice combination, and it'd be nice to get someone to kind of balance him out. Um, you know, Carlson did play with Brooks Orpic back in the day, and that pairing seemed to work pretty well, all things considered. Um, and of course, that was at like the very tail end of Orpic's career. Um, you know, I want to get your your take. It's a it, it was not a question. You know, you and I talked about beforehand, but. You know, we talked about how great John Carlson's season is. You know, from from where you sit, who was better offensively, John Carlson this year or Mike Green at the end of the 2000s? Oh, man, that's a great question because I, I always go back to that season that Mike Green had. A, what Was it the 2008-09 season? I think so. The year he scored like 32 goals in 66 games. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you project that performance out to an 82 game season and he was going to score 40 goals as a defenseman and he was just on another level. Um, as good as Carlson has been this season, I still think I'd go with green that he had that two year run there Mm -hmm. where he finished in second place in the Norris trophy voting each year. I, I, looking back on it, it's just insane. He didn't win one, at least one of them, um, that two-year stretch, I, I think he was just on another level. And that, that one season in particular, he was as dominant offensively as you'll ever see a defenseman be, especially from a goal-scoring standpoint. Um, I think I'd still give the edge to prime Mike Green. And that's not taking anything away from what Carlson's done this season because it's been magnificent. But I, I think when we look back, that stretch by Mike Green is going to be a really underappreciated uh, stretch of this era because you know there were so many people then that that didn't really even outside of Washington celebrate that performance. It was it was almost like you know you were always looking for reasons to criticize the guy because you know you know there he was that classic defenseman that gets labeled as a fourth forward and his, his entire game was just picked apart. But, I mean, the stuff he did was just phenomenal. I, I'd still give the edge to Green. Yeah, I think um, Mike Green's well, – it, he was just a couple years too early. Uh, you know, I feel like right, he, he would have exactly. gotten at least two Norris. I mean, and then kind of injuries derailed his career a little bit after that. Um, but he, he was basically Eric Carlson before Eric Carlson was. Yeah. He, yeah, God. My, I, I love thinking back to how Mike – I mean, he was just – uh, a marvel to watch. I mean, the way he moved up and down the ice, just, just a phenomenal player. And I really think his defensive impact was really underrated. I, I don't think he was the, you know, 
the, the bad defensive player his critics made him out to be. I still think he impacted the game in a positive way there. I mean, he was an outstanding player at his peak. He was. He was. I mean, I, I think the the end of 2000 Capitals teams as a whole were just very good teams. Um, unfortunately, they didn't have a lot on defense after after Green, but right. just just solid rosters. Um, you know, that was when Semin was doing a lot too. J- j- just good teams. But getting a bit off topic there, <laughs> I could talk about that, those guys all day. Um, I did, I want to get your take too on Dmitry Orlov. I mean, he's a guy that doesn't get a lot of love around the league. Um, but I think he's kind of had an underrated, very solid season for the Capitals. Like, what are you kind of your thoughts about Dimitri? Or, and it's totally fine to say I don't really have any thoughts on all, at all. <laughs> well, no, like, I think he's been a really underappreciated player for most of his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just one of those guys, and, and it's kind of tough on a team like the Capitals because there's so many superstars there. Like when Alex. Nicholas Baxter, Genny Kuznetsov, and even guys like TJ Oshie are getting all the attention. There's only so much time you can give to every player. It's inevitable that somebody's going to sneak under the radar. And I think Orlov is one of those guys that's kind of done that. And, you know, I remember, correct me if I'm wrong on this, he was protected in the expansion draft over Nate Schmidt. Am I right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he would have yeah, had I, I At the time, I, I kind of questioned that a little bit. But looking back on it, like, as, as it's played out, he's become a really outstanding player. And I, I just don't know that he gets enough attention. And I, I think it's just a matter of the circumstances and where he plays, where there's just so much talent around him that he just kind of gets overshadowed a little bit, even on his own blue line. I mean, he could be having an outstanding year, but all anybody's going to talk about is John Carlson, and for good reason. But I, I just think he's a really, really solid, underrated player. I've always been impressed with him. Every time I watch him in person or every time I watch a Capitals game, he's always a guy that seems to stand out in a positive way. Yeah, that, 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 that's that's a great way to talk about Orlov. I mean, he's just – he. Uh, I remember watching him at development camp back before he had made the big squad, and he just uh, – he was just – the way he was laying out guys, you could just tell he was ready. And I, I think he's been very solid his whole time in Washington. He had um, – a bit of trouble playing the puck on his backhand his first few years. You know, teams would just get him against the wall, and he could just right. not get that thing up. But he, since then, he's been great. Um, I'm a big fan of his. Um, so I want to get your thoughts, Adam, on what other moves you see the Capitals making. Um, because, obviously, they don't have a lot of room to do a lot, so it's hard to imagine them making a deal if it's not a true hockey trade. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Um, because, you know, like you said, there's not a lot of flexibility there. And... I think when you're a team in the Capitals spot, it, making a, a, a true hockey trade can be really tough to do because you don't want to shake things up too much. I know things haven't been going as good as they were earlier in the season recently, but you know, over an 82-game season, you got to expect there's going to be some peaks and valleys. There's going to be some slumps. I don't think you want to overreact to that. I don't think you want to break up uh, a team that, big picture, overall, is probably still one of the four or five best teams in the NHL. And I don't really know that there's that many tweaks to be made here. I mean, it's still, you look at the roster, it's still one of the best rosters in the league. I, I just don't see a ton of need anywhere there. And the one need that you maybe did have, short up the back end, you already did that with Brendan Dillon. And I, I just, other than maybe a depth forward or depth defenseman, I'm really not sure what else there is 
uh, for them to do here before Monday. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, it, it, the roster still looks great. I mean, on paper, it's a solid roster, um, but they haven't been performing really well. So that kind of it, it segues well into kind of my my next question for you. The Capitals are four and six in the last ten games, um, and that, this is with that roster that you know we both think is pretty good. Um, what what else, if anything, needs to be done to shake the team out of this funk? I mean, is it just because they're on national TV all the time now? Because Ovechkin's getting close to 700, <laughs> or, or, or what do they got to do here to start playing like they were for you know the whole first half of the season? You know, it, it's a tough thing to answer because I'm of the belief that I, I think sometimes you just got to let a team play out of it, and you know you're not going to keep winning games at the pace they did for the first, you know, three and a half, four months of the season. Eventually, you're going to slow down at some point. Eventually, some breaks are going to go against you. Uh, You know, the goaltenders aren't going to stand on their head every night. You know, you're not going to get, you know, as many breaks offensively. You're not going to shoot the lights out every night where, you know, you score five or six goals. Sometimes you're just going to hit a slump. And I think that's just what's happened to the Capitals here. I think what's made it magnified a little bit more is what you mentioned, where they are on NBC every night because everybody's watching Ovechkin to see if he when he's going to get to 700. And it's also been magnified a little bit because the team that they're competing with for first place in the Metro just won't lose. So if you know if the penguins had lost a few more games over the past few weeks and the capitals still had that pretty sizable gap in the metropolitan division that sizable lead i don't know that there would be as much panic right now or as, I, don't, I don't maybe panic's too strong of a word but i don't think there'd be as much concern as there is with the recent play cuz i mean you just got to give a team a chance to to have a slump at some point and play their way out of it and i, I I really don't think that it's anything to be too overly concerned about. I like to bet on talent. The Capitals have talent. I think sooner rather than later, they're going to start to play their way out of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to think the same thing. Um, you know, I, I thought back to kind of the, like my when I used to criticize Barry Trotz, obviously the, the Capitals won the Stanley Cup, so everything was fine. Obviously he did his job very well, <laughs> but... You know, I used to think back, it doesn't mean a lot to take this Capitals roster and have them do very well in the regular season. Because, I mean, I, I think you could definitely argue that some of the rosters on the Trots coach caps were even better than the current caps. You know, that, that those were great rosters. And, you know, it was expected that they would win the Metropolitan Division. I mean, it, Trots got kind of the bump because it was... He went from Adam Oates, probably one of the worst coaches in like NHL history in my <laughs> mind, to to you know if he had just been a replacement level coach, that team had enough roster on it to 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 cruise through the regular season. But could they get it done in the playoffs? So now I was wrong about Barry. What he did was enough to be successful in the playoffs. Does Todd Reardon have the, that same ability to make adjustments and and coach this team? You know, when, when he's going head to head with with Sullivan in Pittsburgh, or, or really anybody else, do, does he have the ability to make adjustments on the fly to help this team win? I mean, I think until he actually does it, there's always going to be that lingering question, and that question lingered for Barry Trotz for a lot of years mm-hmm. because until you actually get over that hump, um, you know whether it's justified or not, whether it's fair or not, that question's still going to be there. I, I like to think he does have that ability. 
Um, you know, I, I know his, his background a little bit from his time in Pittsburgh. I think he's a really smart coach. I think he knows the game. I think he knows the modern game really well. And I think he has what it takes to match up with those guys and beat them. And he has the roster to do it too. And I, I, I don't want to say that you want to pace yourself a little bit as a team, but there's something to be said for knowing when to turn it on. And I think this Capitals team knows that because they've been there, they've been through it, and they've done it. You don't need to dominate the entire regular season. And, you know, you saw what happened with Tampa Bay last season where they just went all out the entire regular season, winning as many games as they could, which, you know, you obviously want to do, especially if you're chasing history like they were. By the time they got to the playoffs, you know, I don't know if they were just burnt out. I don't know if... Um, they, they put so much effort into winning all those games at the end. It really didn't matter to them, but I I think there's something to be said for just kind of, you know, knowing when you have to turn it on. And and I've seen this with the Penguins over the years and being in Pittsburgh where they would start every year, just really slow. And they'd be in this, this almost like month or two month long funk. And you're thinking, geez, man, maybe this is the year the window closes. Maybe this is the year they, they fall back. And then right around midseason, they start to pick it up again. And, and I think great teams that, that, that have been through it before, that have won before, they have that ability to do that. And so, I mean, I, I'm just not going to worry too much about what we've seen over the past 10 games or so uh, with the Capitals. I, I, I still think they're going to they're gonna pull out of this, and, and they're still going to be right there in the end and, and one of the top teams in the East. All right, fair enough. Um, you talked about the Penguins and how they're not losing. Um, what is going on with with them? Uh, I mean, they, they obviously made a great acquisition, or what I think was a great great trade to get uh, Zucker. But is that going to? Uh, I mean, I, I gotta think Pittsburgh has got to be considered one of the top two teams in the East right now. Um, it's either them or Boston, in my mind. Yeah, I mean, Zucker was a really good pickup for them. Um, He's a guy that fits in long-term for them, and they needed somebody to play on Sidney Crosby's wing on the top line, Jake Gensel being out. Uh, I think there's still some hope that Gensel will be back for the playoffs, or at least maybe if they get through the first round, he'll be ready for the second round. But they needed somebody there to to get them to that point, and they were probably going to need somebody for next season anyway just to round out the roster. And He's a great fit. He's a great match. Yeah, this has been a really unexpectedly great season for them because I went into the preseason thinking, you know, they're, they're, they should be a pretty good team. They should still be a playoff team. I didn't expect them to contend the way they have. There were maybe five or six players on the roster that I called their wild card players where if they developed the best case scenario, the Penguins had a chance to be really good. But if those players didn't develop to the best-case scenario, they had a chance to really struggle and maybe have to fight to get in the playoffs. It turns out all five or six of those guys have been the best-case scenario, whether it's Brian Rust having a career year, Jared McCann really coming on strong, Dominic Cahoon being a good pickup, uh, John Marino coming over from Edmonton, really solidified their blue line. All those guys have been everything they expected them to be and more and then they still have guys like Sidney Crosby, and they still have Getty Malkin, and, and Malkin has had a huge bounce-back season after a down year by his standards. 
and everything is just clicking for them right now. And you know, Mike Sullivan's done a great job getting the team through a lot of injuries. Um, they just have a lot going on right now. I still think Jim Rutherford is going to make another trade before Monday. Uh, he sounds like he's itching to do that. And you know, whenever he talks, he, he doesn't usually BS you. I mean, he says what he's going to do. And it sounds like he has another move ready to go. They have some salary cap space to do that. Um, you know, I, I think when you look at the top five or six teams in the NHL, probably almost all of them play in the Eastern Conference. I think Pittsburgh's there. I think Washington's there. Boston's there. Tampa Bay's there. Whatever order you want to put them in. Um, I, I think those four or five teams are probably the best in the league right now. And, you know, Pittsburgh's put themselves in a position to, to make another run at it. And it's going to be a fascinating race in the Metro between the Penguins and the Capitals the rest of the way, not only because they're so close, but because they still play each other three more times. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely selling uh, Tampa a bit short as well. You know, Tampa's been winning plenty in their own right, you know, on yeah, their 11-game win streak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not a good time uh, in the Eastern Conference right now. They're the the best are playing pretty well, uh, minus the Caps, of course. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the Bruins having won nine of their last ten as well. Um, so we talked about the Penguins, talked about the Caps. What do you see the other top teams, the Bruins, the Lightning? And we could talk about the Western Conference if you want. But you know, in the Eastern, being a Covering the Eastern Conference, not too worried about what the West is going to be doing, frankly, until we start talking about the Stanley Cup. So what do you see these top Eastern Conference teams doing? Well, I mean, Tampa Bay already made a pretty big move to get uh, Blake Coleman, which I thought was a really underrated pickup. Um, you know, he signed dirt cheap through next season. He's a really good penalty killer. And he had, you know, he has 20 goals already, too. Another 20-goal scorer to a team that already has, you know, <laughs> four or five of them. Um, I kind of almost wonder if they would still be a factor for a guy like Chris Kreider because they have that track record of being a, a you know, trading partner with the Rangers. They've made you know four or five deals with each other. I could see him being a guy that would fit there and it's kind of an all-in move. Um, I'm kind of curious to see what Boston's going to do. You know, they could really use, I think, another scorer to kind of round out their lineup, kind of the same way they got Charlie Coyle, Marcus Johansson last season. I wonder if, if they'd be in the mix for a guy like Thomas Tatar from Montreal or even an Ilya Kovalchuk from Montreal. Um, and, you know, I've seen some some suggestion that maybe Kyle Palmieri from New Jersey might be an option for them. Um, I would be surprised if those teams stood pat. I mean, you, you have an opportunity to win a championship. You have to go all in on it. And those seem like the type of teams that, that aren't going to let an opportunity pass them by. So I, I still think there's a lot of moves to be made there. And uh, <laughs> the best are just going to keep on getting better, I think, before Monday. It, it certainly is an interesting year um, with, with kind of the way things have shaken out with the Eastern Conference just being so dominant uh, over the Western Conference. Um are there any bubble teams that you see as a real competitive threat to these top guys? I mean, everyone always loves to talk about the Hurricanes. You know, it's funny. You look at the Metropolitan Division and the top six teams, they're all legitimate playoff teams. I mean, like They all are in the top, I think, 11 or 12 league-wide standings. And one of them is guaranteed to miss the playoffs, which is just insane when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I... <laughs> I think the Hurricanes are still a team that you have to worry about. Um, I, I'd like to see them 
maybe solidify the goaltending a little bit. We always go back to that with them. Uh, with Dougie Hamilton out, they probably they probably would like to add another defenseman. I still like the talent they have. I think they're going to be a headache for somebody if they get in. The team that I think is really sneaking under the radar, and I never know what to make of these guys because at any given time they could look like the best team in the league or the worst team in the league, but I really am curious to see what the Philadelphia Flyers are going to do because they still have their core high-end guys. They still have Claude Giroux. They still have Voracek. They still have Couturier. Really good players, and they're a really good team. That I don't think a lot of people realize how good their record is uh, in terms of the rest of the league and, and how well they've played at times this season. And they really haven't had Carter Hart, number one, healthy or at his best yet. And if he gets healthy down the stretch run and he's able to play the way he did last season, that's going to be a team that I don't think you want to play in the playoffs, especially if you're, you know, the team that wins the Metropolitan Division, you get the, the top spot, and they sneak in as the second wild card. That could be a nightmare first-round matchup for somebody. And I think that's a team that, that I would not count out as being a factor in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it, well, the, the Capitals are a team that historically has not necessarily done well against low seeds in the playoffs, so... Um, they definitely have to be wary no matter who they're facing if if they do finish at the top of the division. So, um, you know, just just getting flashbacks to a <laughs> lock right there. But um, I mean that that that's it, it's definitely going to be an interesting couple of days here heading into the trade deadline, and it's going to be an exciting kind of race to the finish here. Um, you know, for the Capitals and the rest of the East, and someone in the West will limp in and. They won't deserve to be in the playoffs, but <laughs> maybe that's a topic for another day. Um, Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I, I know you got a lot going on, a lot of hockey to watch, so thank you. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. I enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, why don't you do I mean, we already mentioned NBC Sports. You're at A Gretz, or I'm not going to G R E T Z, but any, any specific work you want to like kind of plug or tell people to go check out? Uh, no, just follow along on Twitter. I write for NBC, Pensburg, Yard Barker. Um, you know, just trying to to make it fun and, and interesting and, you know, just follow the league in a good way. Awesome. Thanks again, Adam. And I hope all of our listeners go and give you a follow and then go on iTunes and give this podcast a five-star review. So thanks again <laughs> uh, for listening to this episode of Japers Rink Radio.